This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 278 of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. Joining me for this episode is a brewer who I've known and uh, socially and professionally for the last couple of years, but we've got a fantastic opportunity and a reason to talk. Uh, Ryan Joy is now head brewer for Sweetwater. Do you call it Sweetwater West or uh, Sweetwater uh, Colorado? Sweetwater Fort Collins. Sweetwater is, Fort Collins. That's what my email signature says. So. Perfect. Uh, perfect. So, Ryan, uh, like I said, you I've, I've known you brewing at other breweries around here in the northern Colorado. And now, of course, uh, Sweetwater took over the old Red Truck location, which had taken over the old Fort Collins Brewery location. <laughs> and uh, now you are heading up uh, your head brewer over there. Um, tackled some interesting brewing problems because Sweetwater has also acquired the rights to brew the uh, the Green Flash and Alpine brands. And so uh, I think what we're going to talk about today on the podcast is taking a hold of these iconic brands, figuring out how to brew them on a different brew house with uh, ingredients that have shifted over the years into some other place. Um, tastes, of course, uh, you know, the, the expectations for visuals and textures of beer have changed. You're in a whole different water solution uh, situation out here Absolutely. in Colorado. There's a whole bunch of things you've had to figure out. As, uh, as you tackle these brands, and of course the expectation out there amongst drinkers who love these things is that you better not screw it up. Uh, <laughs> at least that's my expectation because these are iconic brands, not just for me, but for a lot of brewers that I talk to. You know, in that particular, like, I mean, it's weird to listen to brewers talk about just how important a beer like Alpine Nelson is in the history of beer. Yeah, these that, are beers that I came up on too. So it's exactly, uh, and so now now you've been charged with uh, with taking on these kinds of uh, you know groundbreaking beers and uh, and brewing them right here in, in Colorado. Uh, we're going to talk a little uh, talk a lot about that, and we're also going to talk a little bit about how uh, Sweetwater brews with terpenes because uh, uh, you know especially in the kind of weed inspired beers or at least the aromatic. Uh, you know, kind of approach to using terpenes that are common in other recreational uh, herbal uh, you know <laughs> things that people consume in states like Colorado where those are illegal. Um, you've, you know, uh, Sweetwater makes beers that are meant to evoke some of those kind of weedier, uh, you know, funkier. Uh, aromas and flavors, and uh, you all do that in uh, without using cannabis, but doing it in, using it you know, with a terpene process. And I want to talk about how you all do that, um, what that kind of creative process looks like, what the technical process is around that, how you know how you make those things stay in suspension and make for compelling beers, but even figure that like figuring out how to make those flavors. Yeah, yeah. you know that's that's a process of uh, you know of how do you map out what what those things are mm-hmm. to help create those flavors. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of that. But first, for nearly 30 years, G&D Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. G&D stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. G&D also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, are you ready to brew like a pro? Pro Brew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery to the next level. Check out www.probrew.com for info on patented ProCarb inline carbonation technology, ProFill rotary filling and seaming can fillers, the Alchemator inline alcohol separation system, 7 to 50 barrel brew houses, 
and more. ProBrew, a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promock brand, offers the craft beer industry innovative solutions to help you brew like a pro. Go to www.probrew.com for more info. All right, Ryan, give me the story. What's your story? Uh, what, was the, where the, what was that moment for craft beer, and uh, how did your career arc progress? Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast and uh, listen listen every week. So uh, oh. the information that comes out from all the fantastic brewers that are on here is is stuff that's really, really helpful in doing our job. So thanks for putting this together, and, and thanks for having us. Hey, uh, we couldn't do it unless, unless uh, you all talked with us about this. Um, and it's just, I appreciate everyone trusting us to be a conduit to share this kind of stuff and put it out there in a respectful and a deep way, talking to good people that uh, are open to putting this out there. Again, we couldn't do it without folks that are willing yeah. to talk with us. Yeah. So it's all you guys. Yeah, so I've been kind of kicking around in the northern Colorado brewing industry for, I think, right at 10 years now. And sure. my story's like most. I started home brewing when I was too young to young to buy. Uh, it was a <laughs> hobby I got into with my sure. dad. Um, I kind of brought it up and he was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. So I think it was about 19 when we first brewed our first batch. Um, and never really knew that you could, first of all, make beer at home, let alone it could be a, a job. So it's definitely not what I was going to school for. It's sure, not what sure. I finished school in. Um, and I was, uh, once I finished undergrad, I was working seasonally in the hospitality industry, um, had a couple different jobs back and forth seasonally and finished grad school that last seasonal uh, season. You, what was your grad school degree in? Uh, it's a business degree sure. from, from here at CSU in Fort Collins. Yeah. So, um, finished that. Didn't want to go to school anymore, so I had to figure out what I was going to do. Uh, and I was unemployed for a little bit of time and had a little bit of background uh, knowledge in, in home brewing. I walked into a small brewery that had opened up down in Berthoud called City Star Brewing um, and asked for a job about six months after they opened. And kind of just started coming in cleaning kegs for you know not a lot of money per hour bartending for tips sure, sure. and you know that's kind of the the evolution of of a lot of people back in 2012 2013 getting into the industry um and I, it is still remarkably a fantastic way to get in you know and and i hear i mean the number of high quality talented brewers who started by bartending or you know again yeah. cleaning kegs or working in the cell like you know, some of these things are, are learned and they can be learned in that time frame that, uh, you know, uh, basically through this long term apprenticeship within craft beer itself. Yeah, that's and the the great thing about it was and I advocate for this for new brewers is make sure you get paid. Um, that was a big time of sure, a lot of sure, volunteering sure. and things like that. So it was really nice. I got paid for the work that I was doing, even though it was one day and then two days and three days a week and worked up to being full time there. Um, nobody doing, works for free anymore. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> can't afford to in this economy. Yeah. Uh, and was there for just under five years. Um, we had some really good success in that time it was a, a good time to get into the industry. Sure. Uh, a lot of great breweries open up at that time. We, we had some success, won three GABF medals while we were there. Yeah. Um, and, but after about five years, I kind of, uh, exceeded the, the, knowledge of the the three barrel system that we were running on on there and kind of wanted to keep progressing through my career so i actually took a sales and delivery job with bootstrap brewing down in longmont yeah. um, right as they were expanding out of their kind of 15 barrel pub system in in niwat they put in a 30 barrel system so i did a little bit of sales and delivery down there and uh, moved into the brew house about four months after i started working there um got 
a lot of packaging experience, like first canning experience over there, learning to run multiple turns at a time on a big brew house, not right. a three barrel brew house. Um, and I loved loved working for Steve down there. They're they're doing some yeah, some yeah. really nice beers down there. Um, really cool people to work for. Uh, but I got approached to uh, uh, take over a small brewery that had been open for about a year in Windsor, and uh, kind of had to jump at the opportunity to sure, do my sure. own creative thing. It was a, a back one, onto a small system yep, again, <laughs> right back right back to a three barrel system, basically yeah. in a closet, um, and was really really. Uh, I was really able to be super creative um, sure, over there sure. uh, with sours and hazy IPAs. And I, like every brewer loves to love brewing lagers. So had the time, energy, space to yeah. to do some really nice lagers that I was I was into at the time. Um, and I ran that. You had to do a lot of turns on that system even to fill your own fermenters. Yeah, we were doing double turns. So yeah. they're still long. 12 hour brew days to fill seven barrel, uh, seven barrel brew yeah. house over there. Uh, right before we left, right before Paying I left, dues over and over again. Yep. Right before I left, we opened a pub and put in a 10 barrel system. So yeah. it was a little bit more. We started canning during the pandemic right, over there. Right. So another opportunity to do branding and stuff wrapped around some of those beers. So that was, that was really cool. And then as, Sweetwater was kind of coming into the picture with taking over Red Truck. I got got approached again um, by some more people in the industry that they needed some help over here, and uh, it was another opportunity to to progress and grow into uh, uh, that knowledge base of like massive what I would consider massive uh, production brewing on our fifty barrel brew house uh, here at Sweetwater Fort Collins. That's nothing in compared to the three hundred barrel brew house down in Atlanta, but. Uh, doing multiple turns, having that uh, ability to have quality control um, that you just don't, it's really, really hard to have on a three or 10 barrel or even 15 barrel system. So um, Yeah, and well, I mean, production now is probably what, in the 30, 40,000 barrel range and your goal is to go up to what, 100,000 here? Yeah, we have, um, I think we could probably do 30 to 40 out of what we have right now. Um, and then we have some uh, expansion plans that, should uh it's gonna be tight but should max us out at maybe 80 mm -hmm. um as long as the as long as the throughput's there um it, it's gonna take a pretty massive expansion to well, to get us there it, yeah yeah well it's definitely a different scale than the uh the three barrel brew houses that you've spent some time on but you know there you go you've you've you know played on the ups and you played on the downs and you're you know you've done the creative work and uh, enjoyed the opportunity and the flexibility that small systems give you and now you get to go flex it on the big system. Now you guys also have a ten barrel pilot system in the uh, Fort Collins Brewery too. We do, and and they've got a small pilot system down in Atlanta. So uh, we, as the brewers, get to play around on that. Um, we we still have a tasting room. So if there's something that we're getting asked to, they're the tasting room people are getting asked that we don't have, and we can put that together on a pilot system, um, and it's uh, it keeps us interested and in innovating too. So. Well, I've enjoyed the beers you made over the years, and it's, uh, you know, I've had beers at, at every one of those breweries from City Star to Mash Lab and, of course, you know, uh, Bootstrap, even though I didn't realize you were down there at the time. <laughs> and, and now I'm drinking uh, some beer, uh, you know, one of the beers that you've uh, been brewing out now of this location in Fort Collins, Alpine Nelson, as you all have uh, taken on those brands uh, through that Green Flash uh, bankruptcy and whatnot, and are now can, uh, brewing Alpine beers and Green Flash beers here in Fort Collins, which is 
weird and surreal because these are beers that, uh, you know, I grew up on that are formative for me and craft beer, formative for a lot of people, even for you, as you mentioned earlier. I want to talk about this kind of process, about taking on these kinds of things and what, you know, how you all went about doing that. Before we do that, supply chain challenges are here to stay for a while. So why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard has partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more of concentrate from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes from various carriers and can stay up to date on the status of your shipment. To get started on a freight quote for craft concentrates today, head over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, packaging beer can be a daunting task, but buying cans shouldn't be. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices and order quantities catered to craft. Think single truckloads and half-height pallets rather than million can minimums. For a smooth packaging experience, also consider their ultra-compact single-operator canning machines. Pricing begins at $25,000 with a quick six- to eight-week lead time on most equipment. American Canning exists to help share your craft in cans. Learn more about their ecosystem of solutions at American Canning. Dot com. So, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine how that conversation went. We were like, yeah, we're going to have to take on, uh, <laughs> you know, Green Flash IPAs and Alpine IPAs and uh, brew some of these iconic beers here, uh, you know. Uh, but talk to me, you know, I mean, as that process came, you know, as that became a reality and you saw that the opportunity was here to do this, uh, you know, what, what, did, what did the process start to look like? How did you all work from like here's a recipe and a broader idea for what this beer is or what it has been through this kind of production environment here you know uh imagine you know as most corporate things going even digging back to find previous iterations of recipes may have been kind of a pain in the ass and maybe not have happened it might you know your <laughs> your access past a certain point is kind of limited certainly through the process uh you know as it went down with with that um you know but what is you know Give me broad strokes about you know how you all undertook this project from the start. Yeah, so we were we we're pretty fortunate. Um, it, it was a pretty quick acquisition. Um, certainly didn't have every brew log for the last no. what, 20, <laughs> 22 years. I, I right, hope it's right. sitting around somewhere. I'd love to look at them at some point. But sure. Um, but we we had a little bit of visibility um, and a little bit of time to collaborate with um, the the brewers that were doing this out at the the Green Flash facility. Um, we took the brands. We didn't take the we didn't take the brewery or right, the equipment right. or anything like that. Um, so we had a little bit of visibility on that. They brew on the same scale out there, so it's right. that fifty barrel brew house. Um, it's it's different than ours. Ours is a very much a German lager type brew house that we're. Uh, making a lot of IPA on <laughs> now, but uh, so there were some some structural things with just what we have to do to get stuff to run that 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 was very interesting. But yeah, fortunate enough to have uh, some visibility with uh, some of the previous brewers uh, to help us through that process as well. Um, yeah, it uh, like you said, there's such historical. I don't know, historical is the right word, but. Um, influential, yeah. inspiring, groundbreaking. Yeah. 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 So I was, I was fortunate enough that I had had the beers in the past too. Right. Um, so I kind of knew what, what they, they'd been, uh, in the past. So it's a, it's just been a really, really fun project to work on. You mentioned, uh, uh, the water, uh, out in San Diego is absolutely 
terrible for brewing, to be honest with you. It's uh, there's no a, offense, <laughs> entire county of San Diego, yeah, but uh, 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 un- unprocessed, we should say, yes, it yes. is a much more challenging yes. water to brew with than this very clean, you know, uh, surface reservoir water mm. that we have here in Colorado that ends up very neutral and and you know yeah. very easy to to build up to but there's absolutely a reason that that IPA and American IPA is just historically comes out of that San Diego County area it's uh the water's pretty good for brewing IPA but it is yeah. ridiculously hard um the best part uh, like you said is this clean water we have here we have a really really good base so we can pretty much lay down um whatever uh additions we need to do to replicate that process uh, or that water out in san diego and that's pretty much what we've done it's a massive amount of of salts that goes <laughs> into uh, yeah you know we're used to throwing just a little bit of stuff here and there for like the lagers we used to brew uh at red truck and it's just a an absolute bonkers amount of salts uh to me that are that are going into the, these beers to replicate that san diego water profile so let's let's look at it in a broad sense you know you know, you get a recipe, you know, you've had the beer in the past, you're trying to rebuild this, but you're also doing it on a system that is, you know, completely different, not completely, but mostly different than the system was built on. And the system that has been most recently brewed on, at, you know, at Green Flash is different than the system that it was designed on initially uh, in Alpine. And so, you know, so these, the beer has gone through some of these transitions along the way. You also, you know, again, you have these ingredients things. So, you, you know, but you're... What are those pieces that you like? You could identify whether it's like thinking about it in a creative way, and it's like it really has to achieve this, or even thinking about it from a technical recipe way. Like these are the things that just have to be there, and uh, you know, and then you know, or some there's some of those kind of like key creative and technical points that you guys identified because you know then you know there's a lot of moving pieces, but there's some things that you absolutely know you want to achieve. As you do it, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how do you define what those things were that were kind of the core of, of the, of these beers? Sure. Sure. So we had to definitely stick with the rye, um, aspect of this beer, um, which is not in some, Nelson. In Nelson. In Nelson. Yeah. 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 Um, getting in, get into some of the other beers here in a minute sure, too, but, sure. uh, uh, with Nelson, it's gotta be rye. Um, it's gotta be Nelson. We're lucky we were able to take over some of the hop contracts too. So we had, um the correct hops we weren't having to go <laughs> oh, out that's good the same same crop yeah day. yeah so it'd been selected by people that had been yeah. brewing it for 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 a while um and so that that was really nice and i think they'd already selected for the next year too um so we we had visibility on on all the ingredients and we were able to source them really really quickly um but creatively uh, and this beer has morphed a little bit since we've since we've got it it uh, i mean all it morphed when green flash started brewing it and of course it's going to morph some more you know but even within brewers breweries bring their own beers like those morph too yeah ingredients change you know like even tasting this is a when i look at this nelson now or and i even look at how the mcelaney's brew their own version of it mm-hmm. you know months now it's much hazier than mm-hmm. it ever was back then you know i mean yeah. These beers were never hazy like this when they or they were. I mean, they were turbid. They were just not hazy. And yeah. now, now they're all hazy beers. It's and it's weird to look at it. 
that was know, some of these things have definitely shifted over time. That was an operational, you know, thing that we had to adjust. I've actually talked to Pat about this too, and it uh, we weren't getting that stable haze that yeah. people were wanting in the beer. This beer used to be a Chico beer, and we have we've switched the yeast in it, um, yeah, because. Uh, it's got to be shelf stable. Uh, not to say that there's wasn't, but we weren't getting the quality haze that people were expecting in this beer and getting it to stay on the shelf as long as it needs to stay on the shelf. Hopefully sure. it's being treated, you know, correctly that entire time, but we can't always guarantee that. So we're doing yeah, yeah. everything we can to keep that haze in there. And that, um, this beer classic we had was Chico beer, <laughs> like yeah, it's a West yeah. coast IPA. I, Still, you know, all the the styles have kind of morphed, but I I still think this is a West Coast IPA to me. It's it is hazy for sure. Um, it's got that that Nelson, you know, punch to it. Uh, but that was an operational change that that we ended up having to make because we we started it on Chico and we couldn't get it to stay. Won't stay. It's just not Chico. gonna like. No, it doesn't. It's you know. Yeah. Um, it's so haze negative. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was a big yeah. That yeah. was a big sure, point coming sure. back from sales. Is this this isn't staying hazy long enough? Um, and that uh, there were a lot of meetings that, that that went around, you know, about changing the yeast of of, of Nelson. But um, to to get that haze to stay in there, a yeast change was required. I think it did exceptional things for the hops too. So when it was being brewed by by green flash they were brewing it with chico out there mm -hmm. and it was hazy but it just yeah i i, I don't know it's hazy ish yeah, yeah i don't yeah. know everything they were doing to, hey fair to, enough no, to, no. to get whatever yeah. haze was initially in the beer right um but it wasn't staying hazy for us so it was a challenge that we we had to take on and it it required so you moved yeast we did dang yeah. well yeah. That, i mean that's huge it it is, and you know, there's there's some other beers out there that have classically were Chico that have moved on to some other beers or other yeast too. But oh heck yeah, um, we're we're really so. What did you move to that uh, could ha handle that kind of uh, shelf stable? We're we're running a London three on London, it, a London three, okay, so, yeah. and that um, that's a yeast we keep in house because we uh, other Sweetwater brands sure. use uh, use that yeast. Um, we run Chico too. Um, on duet and, and some right, other things with right. all the West uh, Green Flash brand as well, but that's the biggest operational change that we we made in this beer. Um, it still has that kind of like diesely Nelson sure sure uh, thing that's just awesome about that, but tons of loads of like tropical you're right, fruit. You're right, like it does. It is what the cellar maker guys would call a West Coast hazy IPA, and then yeah. you know. It's not sweet, really. Like, mm. there's not much sweetness in it, no more than there might be in, or maybe ever so slightly more than there might be in a, if this was a pure Chico West Coast version, mm -hmm. but um, no more than people are pumping into some of those clear West Coast versions in order to kind of heighten that juicy, fruity character. Um, but it is something about that Nelson that just gives it that kind of like clean, white floral kind of, you know, freshness mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that doesn't feel as kind of fruity. Uh, you know, if it's tropical, then it's more of a funky tropical than a, than a like overly sweet tropical. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think the rye might do something there too. Yeah. Um, I'm not overly sensitive to like rye flavor. I yeah. am in whiskey or, you know, rye lagers or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm not overly sensitive to it in super hopped beers like this, yeah. but I think that 
rye spiciness kind of plays yeah. in with some of those like bigger hop flavors, the diesel hydrocarbon thing, right, and right. it like dries the beer out just a little bit. Yeah. Um, we kept calculated BUs um, pretty much the same, but it's that presentation of the bitterness in there too uh, that uh, it makes a difference uh, in my opinion. It doesn't have to be all your bittering hops at at. 60 minutes or something like sure, that. Sure, like sure, sure. We can get, we're getting bitterness we, out of the whirlpool now. We too, bitter in so. different ways these days, yeah, right? Yeah. How do you, you know, what, so what, is this an all Nelson beer or are there other ops that involve so the bittering side? It's a, I'd have to look at the uh, actual ratios, but the other hop in this is Southern Cross. Oh, right, um, right. And as far as I know, that's been in there for, yeah, for a while. Yeah. Um, probably since Southern Cross kind of, came about you know this obviously was like one of the first beers that was like nelson oh my god what is this hot sure, coming out sure. of new zealand down there so. this this the idea of even doing this podcast episode hit me because uh the other day actually i guess it was yesterday morning i was working on a pick six story for our next issue and had thought about the fact that um mike sabo and his pick six and our best in beer issue that's out now mentioned macalini months and alpine nelson as being this formative beer for him and uh, Doug and Jess Riser of Burial said the exact, you know, included the exact same beer in their pick six. And it started, I, you know, I started really thinking about this. And, uh, you know, Alpine, those Alpine IPAs, they were groundbreaking for me as a beer drinker mm -hmm. and just influential, changing the way that I thought about what was possible in beer and throwing me down this Nelson rabbit hole, <laughs> which I am still deep into. And I love Nelson, you know, in, it, uh, just in an unnatural way. Like, I just <laughs> can't get enough of that hop. Um, you know, but but so it's interesting to go back and look at it now with this context and where things have gone mm -hmm. gone since then. Um, were there some other kind of, uh, you know, creative points? Obviously, you know, the, the yeast itself is wasn't going to be a deal breaker. You needed to make sure that it met people's expectations for this, the people that want to buy a Southern Hemisphere hopped mm -hmm. IPA right now that's, you know, semi-dry and, you know, has this like, you know, but, uh, you know, are there, were there other pieces along the way that you're like, okay, we've got to adhere to this, you know, you mentioned water. Yep. So, you know, again, there's a ton of, of, you know, trying to, to match that kind of water profile. So this comes across the same kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about how you've then built that up. So I think the, um, with the water, we've kept the the water pretty much the same as it was, and I think that kind of keeps it in the West Coast mm -hmm. realm too. There's a lot of things with you that you can do with those salts to enhance, you know, bring up your your sulfates even in a beer that's hazy to accentuate any dryness that you're going to get out of it, or any bitterness, or any hop, uh, you know, wonderfulness that you're going to get out sure, of a, sure. something that's a little bit more more sulfate heavy so um kept the water pretty much the same so it's not one, water you typically brew with a hazy ipa yeah uh, so so tell me about that like what would your typical hazy water profile look like versus this west coast hazy uh water profile yeah so uh you know you're doing two to one chloride on a on a hazy yeah. Um, there's actually quite a bit of chloride in this. It's just not the right kind of chloride. It's a lot of sodium chloride. Oh yeah. Um, and that's just what the water is out there. Huh. Huh. Um, so you have to that salt actually, like real, real just so, salt, salt, real yeah. salt that, salt that is presenting in their water, um, keeps it kind of salty, kind of yeah. kind of drier. Um, so balancing out that chloride, it's not 
calcium chloride that's that's going in there. So um, bringing up magnesium, magnesium sulfate, um, and the uh, calcium sulfate in there too to balance that. Uh, it's 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 kind of unintuitive if you know uh, when you're looking at what the profile is because it is chloride heavy, but it's uh, it's not what I would consider the right kind of chloride <laughs> for for a hazy beer. So balancing that water out um, a little bit uh, is keeping it kind of where uh, true to where it's coming from essentially yeah what's the kind of uh you know load the the you know parts per million load in this oh man I, i'd have to look <laughs> i'd have to i'd have to look it up it's like the the salt that like the whole menagerie of of uh brewing salts that we put in here is like it's like eight pounds uh Per fifty barrel batch oh, in the mash in the in, yeah. the in the mash in the boil, so it's you're going more, heavy. It's more salt than I've ever seen go into a beer. So, Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun to you know to to you know think about that as a in a creative kind of way. Are there are there other uh, you know how about color and malt you know in this? Were there some you know kind of things that you decided like this is something we've got to. You mentioned rye, of course, being a thing, and uh, you know, you being a German brew house weren't necessarily set up to to brew uh, stickier yeah. uh, adjunct kind of malts. And uh, we actually didn't touch the malt at all. Yeah. So we've, um, like I said, we we brewed this with Chico to start um, and made some of those operational changes later. But we didn't touch the malt bill at all. Um, it's exactly what we. Uh, were presented it with mm. when when that that came over. So having it's made just it, a basic American two row and some rye. Or? Two row, a little bit of Maris Otter mm. and 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 rye. Interesting. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty simple simple rye IPA recipe. Yeah, uh, but I think that was one of those things that was critical to uh, keeping it within brand was keeping it a rye IPA despite the challenges that we are, we right, have brewing right. it on our brew house. Don't, you definitely don't want to change that. That's yeah. I don't think it's on the package, but it might be on the package, definitely on the website. It does so, say, it says uh, uh, rye IPA somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. With, with that Maris Otter, uh, why tuck some Maris Otter into the middle of this otherwise, you know, uh, characterful bill that, you know, I mean, I would expect something like Maris Otter to kind of get mm. lost amongst the rye, but yeah, I you would have to ask a previous brewer that there you uh, go. Okay. probably, but um, typically when I'm building some sort of pale pale base, um, I like to throw something that's a little bit more characterful in there. Um, I don't know that it gets it's presenting ridiculous. We've never done it without it, sure. Um, but when I'm building pale pale recipes, um, it. I like to throw just something that's a little bit, whether it's, you know, just 10% or something like that, a little bit more character, characterful to give any sort of nuance of malt in there without adding a ton of crystal malt. <laughs> that's, we can talk crystal malt when we talk sure. about West Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, talk about hops in this then. Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you have the, the Nelson and Southern Cross, you know, idea for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, over the years, the way then times that people have added these things and the things we're, we realize about what you can get out of these hops has also kind of changed. So what, did, what did the, you know, how did, what did you stick to? You mentioned you've got the same selection, so you've got some consistency across that. Yeah. Volumes are going to probably be similar. You know, um, did anything else change in this process? Um, volumes are exactly the same. The dry hop is exactly where it was. Sure. Um, We've made a little bit of adjustments in that kettle to kind of get um, 
maybe a little bit, pull a little bit more aroma. So moving some of it to the whirlpool um, to pull more of that hop flavor uh, and aroma uh, out of the out of the whirlpool. Um, we get a decent amount of bitterness out of our whirlpool too, so I have no problem holding some of that uh, uh, aroma in there and still getting the proper bitterness that we're getting. Um, we don't do a full. That's true. I'm sure your German brew house maintains its whirlpool temperature pretty, uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty tightly. It is one thing, and I, I think they were doing this actually. Um, we're not doing a full. Uh, you like to call it a cool pool. Sure. Uh, we're not doing, uh, it's such a good word. It sounds good, right? It's yeah. Cool pool. Yeah. Um, but with, with our brew house, yeah. we have an external calandria, so we can boil at sea level temperatures oh. or, or higher if we want to, um, which is something they could do too. So we boil this thing hard oh, um, really? and then, uh, are able to add a little bit of cold water to knock that temperature down just a little bit. What's the benefit of brewing of boiling it that hard? Um, I I think it's so we have enough room to add enough water to get it to oh, cool enough. So if you're we, also up here at a high elevation yeah, where we, things are dry and you're gonna yeah you can boil off quickly more quickly than some other places. But. Yeah. So that that external calandria is great. I can if I want to boil it. 215 degrees we can do that mm. um we're not going to get that if we're just going to boil at you know here in fort collins we boil about 204 we'd have right. to boil for ever uh it'd probably be double um mm. that we'd have to boil to get that enough evaporation to have enough room in there to get a little bit of cold water in there to knock yeah. that temperature down okay uh, we're not trying to knock it down to like 160 or anything like right, that. right maybe like drop it below 190 hopefully um, okay but i think that um, I, they might've been doing that. Um, but that's yeah. something that we, um, think gives this beer, uh, a really, really nice hop aroma or keeping some of that, those volatiles in the, in the whirlpool, uh, right. making it into the fermenter. In terms of, uh, you know, like main, maintaining IBUs and looking at, you know, efficiencies between those things, you know, where did the efficiencies on the systems match up or uh, did you find that you are, you know, getting, um, you know, maybe a little additional efficiency out of your highly efficient, uh, you know, yeah. system. Yeah. Um, not familiar with, uh, what kind of efficiencies they were getting on that. Sure. We might be a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, again, with some of those challenges in the, in the matter, in the water, essentially, um, it could be about the same. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. yeah. I don't have a ton of visibility. So funny. I remember that. when, uh, Sean Lawson had spun up their new brew house. He's like, yeah, we did our first batch on it. It's like, all of a sudden, our hop utilization rates were just crazy on this German brew house mm -hmm. compared to, you know, what we had been brewing on before. And so, like, you brew the one-to-one -one recipe, like, it's not going to be the same beer, right? Yep. You know, you, if you're getting more, you know, greater utilization, then you've got to adjust those things in a different kind of way. And yeah, so, I think, you know, we, we've we got a decent amount of experience on the yeah. on the brew house. And there's there's people that have a little bit more experience on this brew sure, house, too, sure. Uh since I've even been here. So we have a pretty good idea what that's going to be. So if we catch a recipe that we need to, to scale or something like that, we actually scaled down for Sweetwater. So, uh, which is crazy, but huh. uh, we're a little bit more efficient than they are um, just because uh, I don't know exactly why, but we just, sure. we are. It's the, the miracle of brew house systems. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, maybe we can switch some gears, talk about another Alpine beer, maybe some Green Flash, and uh, then we can talk about some terpenes after that. Before we do that, ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery outfitter 
proud to offer brew houses, tanks, and small parts to brewers across the country. They stock equipment ranging from three barrels to 90 barrels and offer custom-designed equipment up to 900 barrels. Contact one of their brewery consultants today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your brewery project. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. Also, ready to get into canning but not sure where to start? Twin Monkeys Beverage Systems has helped hundreds of breweries around the country and around the world tailor packaging solutions that meet the unique needs of each brewery. Pioneering many new technologies like integrated liquid nitrogen dosing, expandable canning machines, and automated fill tuning, Twin Monkeys continues to push the boundaries of what is possible and what is necessary. See their lineup at www.twinmonkeys.net. All right, Ryan, let's pivot a little bit talk about West Coast IPA. Not, not that we weren't talking about West Coast IPA <laughs> with Alpine Nelson. Let's go from talking about hazy West Coast IPA to then talking about um, slightly less hazy, but still not perfectly clear uh, West Coast IPA uh, with Alpine Duet. And then we can also, let's also talk about Green Flash West Coast IPA. Again, iconic brands, brands like... When I was living on the East Coast in the you know, like late 2000s, drinking, you know, figuring out what was now happening in IPA, like Green Flash West Coast IPA was just one of those yeah. like fundamental beers that Absolutely. like changed the way that I thought about hoppy beers. So you know, so again, you know, you know, from the on, on this, uh, you know, Green Flash West Coast and Alpine Duet. Talk to me about taking these beers on. Yeah, so uh, Duet, I thought was, um, or we thought was less pliable um just my understanding of the brand um and we're doing this almost to the t uh to what we think they were doing uh yeah. uh or at least the previous iteration of, of green flash was doing um it's you know pretty assertively bitter um it has that same salty san diego water yeah. profile um and then it's just classic the the duet of simcoe and amarillo um that combo still works today in different styles of beer too um and it, i love it it's piney it's resiny it's bitter it's crisp dry um so we really haven't moved uh much on on duet it's uh it stayed pretty much the same but amarillo has changed over the years though i mean that's a hop that has not necessarily stayed in the same place mm -hmm. over time mm -hmm. yeah and i i think simcoe's kind of the same yeah. way too uh it, uh, I don't know if but the Simcoe's back these days, right? Like, yeah, is, are we are we back on Simcoe again? Yeah, we we might be. I think maybe the citrus and mosaics of the world kind of came in and and uh, stole some of the party, right? So maybe they haven't changed that much, and we have. Maybe uh, it is. Maybe it is. I kept thinking about that as I was drinking Nelson uh, yesterday, uh, prepping for this, and uh, you know, I went back and looked. I was like, you know, I hadn't had nelson or duet since 2015 like that's seven years now mm -hmm. since i last had those beers and like as much as i can taste them now and think well those don't taste exactly the same you know like how much of that is, i i imagine more of that is me than it is uh yeah. and, you know anything else and my context for that has changed yeah it very much it very much could be i mean we were we were having an argument the other not an argument a, a discussion the other day on what actually defines West Coast IPA? I think sure, sure. I think the two. I think the style has kind of diverged into classic and modern. Yeah, um, yeah. And somebody was telling me that Duet was a modern uh, uh, version of 
IPA, and I disagreed because it's been around for a long time. Yeah, I don't. So. I wouldn't define this. I I do think you're right. I think there is a modern iteration of IPA. I've I've had conversations with brewers like you know Zach at Slice or you know Kelsey at North Park or having a Green Cheek and, and uh, uh, you know Highland Park. A lot of these guys are they are moving that definition that definition of a ghost town. You know who's been winning just won a GABF, big GABF medal for like they've. Uh, They've been changing this definition of, of what modern West Coast IPA is. It generally involves more Pilsner malt. You know, oftentimes is now involving 3470 fermentations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so, yeah, these are absolutely more modern than uh, West Coast IPA used to be. Definitely more fruit flavors, definitely a slightly lower bitterness, uh, you know, IBU levels, just general perceived bitterness levels. Uh, I wouldn't, you're right, I wouldn't call this that. Yeah. This is definitely, it's funny how, like, this now feels a little bit more classic in that sense. Yeah, and this was a this this discussion centered around color and the use of crystal malts and sure, things like that. Sure. There's um, again not totally sure how this evolved over time. Uh, doesn't really have a lot of crystal malt, and this beer's been around for a long time. Uh, and uh, we can get into uh, West Coast IPA, which sure, let's talk uh, about that. Which still does have uh, some crystal malts in it, but um, seeing an evolution on on that this beer um, again, like you said, just absolutely classic. Um, that big malty crystal malt backbone on it uh, historically, and then just like assertively and maybe possibly uh, abrasively bitter at one point, um, and. We've evolved this beer just a little bit. Um, I think it's still, it's such a classic beer that you can't play with it too much. Um, but evolving some of that crystal malt out of there, I think that helps on uh, shelf stability um, and just uh, doesn't present as sweet, keeping it. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. What, how have you moved uh, in, in to create this color without using, uh, you know, uh, say crystal caramel malts that might be more oxidative, might shorten your uh, shelf life, mm-hmm. might produce beer that is a little bit less palatable. It's it's really just pulling some of it out. We're yeah. not substituting yet. I think there's still room in this beer to you're not using level bond levels that are out of the typical range where some of the most oxidative material ha- you know tends action no, tends to happen. They're pretty light crystal malts, but um, I'm of a, a newer school in that the less crystal malt even in a west west coast ipa is is better uh this has this is a classic west coast ipa to me and we can evolve it a little bit but i think it still needs sure. to be true to true to what people are are expecting in there um, is there anything to the hop choice that uh, either you know heightens or downplays some of that potential oxidative effect um I, or increases shelf stability or decreases shelf stability. Yeah, I don't know about we're we're hopping at a similar rate again using a maybe just a little bit different uh, to get take away that uh, astringent bitterness that you sure. you may have got on this beer. This tent. definitely tastes a little bit softer than uh, I might have remembered it, but partly you know I don't necessarily remember that old like. 90 IBU, like, I mean, and I remember Green Flash beer, like, you know, 150 IBU, Palette Wrecker. Palette Wrecker. You know, that was just, <laughs> these are just monsters, but they were just so ragged and, you yeah, know, just so uh, inelegant in the way that they presented that kind of bitterness. Yeah. Um, the expectation is for much more elegance and, yeah. and smoothness. Elegant is a, a great way to look at that, I think. Um, and it's it classic hop, it's Simcoe, Columbus, and then uh, dry hop is 
everything you'd expect to be in there. We have added some like Citra to this to try to just brighten, hmm. brighten that hop flavor, yeah. bring it up into the modern world, but still have it be an homage to maybe a previous self uh, on this beer. So we're pretty happy with how this beer's coming out. Yeah, yeah. Are there some, what, are there any other key points that have kind of shifted through this process in Green and West Flash, uh, Green Coast, <laughs> Green Flash, West Coast IPA? I'm going to figure this out one day or another. Um, again, similar, similar yeah. water profile. Um, we, uh, Again, dialing some some of those BUs back, but yeah, not not really. We're, we kept them all pretty much the same, other than dialing some of that crystal malt back. Um, it, this one had to stand on uh, on its own, and maybe we with some of these other innovation brands that we've recently uh, came out with that became kind of our playground um, as well. So. What did the Let's maybe pull out and look at like what is the general what did the general process look like? How many did it start on the pilot brew house before it moved to the big brew house? Um, imagine as you were brewing, you know, you are looking at how things are working, you know, because you're on a fifty barrel system and brewing into 100, 150 barrel tanks, like mm -hmm. you're gonna do multiple turns and so you can make some adjustments between brews. Um, you know, what did that kind of iteration process look like as you started dialing these up? And we're then kind of evaluating on the fly as you went. Yeah, we got thrown to the wolves, basically. So. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. We did it's like, make it right the first time, guys. We, uh, <laughs> uh, I did do the the water was the most concerning part. So mm -hmm. I I basically built like a a mashup of duet and West Coast IPA to to test the water profile. Yeah, yeah. Um, and brewed that on our our ten barrel system uh, to make sure we weren't just like brewing with seawater or something right, like that right. uh and then we we kind of just went for it on on all those beers after that like we're uh we're we're, we're okay at what we do so and, sure, and 50 sure. barrels is um 50 barrels is a lot but it's also not that much and we we can brew uh, we can brew to blend too, so it's right, right. that's not uh, that's not out of the the realm of possibility too. So if um, we're missing a little bit on the hot side, we can adjust on that if we get through fermentation and we want something a little bit more, we can brew another batch and and blend uh, blend some of those things out that we don't that we don't like. So yeah. that's the one that is one thing that I'm not used to right. uh, on a on small systems and back in you know some of my other places. There's no blending. It's what yeah. comes out comes out we need so. a beer on tap so you're gonna have to yeah. you know, crank it out and, yeah yeah unless you want to yeah spend several more days brewing more of this and mm -hmm. then we can't have all of our tanks taken up by sure. all of this one beer so that you have be, can able to yeah be able to blend it all back yeah absolutely so um but yeah these the, with with west coast ipa it, it had to it had to be something that was going to be worth going into the can and, and sure that people were going to say yes this is this is what have you moved to any um you know say more like advanced hot products in these in order to either change the kind of uh you know the impact of vegetal matter or soften the appearance of that of bitterness mm -hmm. or uh you know f drive some more intensity and flavor we not necessarily in these brands yeah. um they're pretty pretty stable in that we on sweetwater brands we we definitely use some mm -hmm. of those um hot products they help with um mainly like things like cryo um we have a pretty much a hundred percent incognito um 
hazy pale ale mm. too. Um, I'm of the I'm of the school that those concentrated hop products are awesome because they help us with yield. But I ha- I don't always love them by themselves. I mm. think that classic T90 hop flavor is so important um, that you've got to have you got they're good to blend. Some of these products yeah, yeah. are really really good to blend in um, to help with yield. Uh, and, and maybe concentrate some of those flavors. But I think concentration um, can lead to kind of one-note aspects right, to some of right. these hops as well. Um, so if you blend Cryo Cascade with regular Cascade, you maintain some of that classic Cascade yeah. hop flavor um, and uh, and still get some of the benefits of, of a higher yield um, using something like a cryo or something like that. Sure. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's talk about terpenes. This is something that uh, when I think about Sweetwater, I think, you know, this is probably one of the more kind of pioneering places that Sweetwater has really made a mark in the world of brewing. And that is using terpenes that are naturally derived, you know, um, to mimic some of the, you know, kind of notes that you might get uh, in that kind of weedy or dankier space and build beers that taste like things that aren't necessarily, you know, classic beer kind of mm-hmm. uh, aromas and flavors. Um, you know, talk to me about this process. You know, I'm curious, you know, as you all, and you, the that G13 brand is a mm-hmm. kind of, you know, premium, like prime place for that. Uh, it was it was something that you all are expanding, and now it's coming back. I think down to more of a kind of focus around a single beer, um, uh, you know. But but figuring out like how to talk to me about how how you go through that kind of you know brewery process, both creatively figuring out what terpenes are doing what and what how they're producing aromas and flavors, yeah. how they work together, and uh, you know, and how you all could even think about building a you know, say a quote unquote terpene recipe for a you know a certain kind of aromatic profile. Right. So um, G13 uh, is basically where that whole project landed. Um, they did do uh, a couple different trials on trying to mimic some of those. Uh, flavors and aromas that are coming out of different strains of cannabis. Uh, so we had mango Kush and right. G13, obviously, and they they tried it in pale ales. They Every tried fermenter it in... at the brewery, by the way, is named after <laughs> a different weed strain, yes. a cannabis strain, and so uh, you know, yes, yeah, it, it runs deep there. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a a big, you know, a, a big part of part of our branding. But that that project went into. Uh, trying to replicate some of those aromas that were coming out of those uh, different strains. Uh, I'm not totally up to date on like the producer on on the terpene products that we're using, but they are hop derived. Um, and basically, what that came down to, and maybe there's other producers out there now that are doing uh, different technologies on right. them or or new processes to to get these uh, products out. Uh, but the terpenes are Columbus derived um, in G13, hmm. and that was the one that they came across that uh, that uh, really was the most uh, cannabis and dank huh. forward. And when you drink when you drink that beer, it smells just like like cannabis. It's it's amazing. It's the the dank flavor that that comes out of that um, product is is really great as far yeah. as like operationally it's very very tiny amounts i mean you've had other brewers on here talking about uh what uh the small amount of 
oil that a whole box of hops comes down to and it's yeah. you know what yeah less than 100 milliliters of yeah of, of product derived from an entire box of hops so um it's it's very small goes in on the cold side um and just creates this amazing aroma that is uh, not cannabis based but certainly smells like it sure so, sure um, no, and right, that, that ability for, uh, you know, through various distilling type processes to distill out those terpenes, um, whether it's whole spectrum or whether it's individual terpenes that you're then, you know, isolating and blending back together into this kind of perfect mix. It's a fascinating idea of process, yeah. um, you know, and figuring out what those terpenes are, you know, that kind of commonality between those weed strains. I mean, I can't, I, I can only dream of being that lab person mm -hmm. doing the gc uh you know on these weed strains trying to figure out what it was what those spikes were of these various terpenes uh you know that are producing some of these aromas that sounds like some really important science uh you know <laughs> yeah. that they were doing to come up with this and then going back in and isolating those out and then reblending to hit a similar kind of profile yeah, you know, within your terpene mix that you can then add back into the beer, it's it's kind of it's pretty awesome, kind of cool. It is, yeah. It's a that's that's science that's way way above my head. <laughs> uh, but it, it it's it is cool what's coming out, and uh, I don't know what our our future with with terpenes uh, is. Like I said, they they we've done all that R and D on that with using different hops to see what they're they're trying to replicate and i think it kind of comes back to some of those concentrated hop products is they getting them to be in themselves so different is really really hard um finding that uh such and such hop creates this uh replication of of this aroma of this strain it becomes kind of one note if that makes makes any sense mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what when when we were doing this process they came down to and it it all just came back to g13 this was the most uh was the most replicative of of that strain yeah um, some of the other ones just weren't weren't enough to or different enough from say g13 right. uh, to to put a ton more effort into doing all kinds of different strains. So and then of the course, Girl Scouts were like, "No, you can't use our brand for <laughs> yeah. for your Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. Uh, you know, strain beer. No, no, not going to allow that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, it is certainly interesting. Is there any issues with solubility then uh, in that, or is your the terpene extractor, um, you know, then able to then use some uh, you know, products. Cause I know that is the, the new way I keep getting pitches about this from various companies that are finding ways to like solubilize otherwise insoluble or non-water soluble, uh, mm -hmm. you know, things and terpenes are certainly, you know, one of those that are hard to keep in solution like that. Yeah. I, um, I see a little bit of difference over the, the lifespan of the, of the beer, say in the keg or in the can. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that it falls out. I think it just kind of evolves um, into, mm. into something else. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't, I don't, wouldn't even speculate as to what that is. It becomes more when it's super fresh. It's really, really dank. And as it that beer ages, it doesn't. I'm super sensitive to oxidation. It's not an oxidative quality. Yeah. It's like it becomes more fruity mm. rather than that, um, like 
plant matter okay. dankness. That's that's what I anecdotally see in drinking G13. It's a you beer. You see a, a diesel drop off. A diesel drop off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trademark that right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'd be a good beer name. So. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> that's uh, interesting. Playing with any other things in that kind of terpene space or. Uh... Um, as far as I know, there's there's not any plans on a large scale, um, but it it would be interesting to to try and and learn about more of if that extraction process has changed from uh, the supplier that we're using, sure, and looking sure. at other suppliers and seeing what kind of technology they're using to to extract those those terpenes, or if there's other product based terpenes that still aren't cannabis that can yeah, become yeah. TTB approved. Um, and that may be throwing those better than hops are. Maybe we're not, uh, maybe there's other, other products that might throw those, uh, those volatile terpenes, uh, better than hops are. Sure. Um, sure. Well, it's going to be interesting to see where you go. Of course, your parent company is Tilray. They're a large, you know, cannabis, uh, focused company. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch that entire, business develop, uh, you know, through North America as legalization tends to take hold and, uh, you know, amongst various states. Um, yeah. And, and it'll be interesting to see where that beverage space goes as more cannabis based beverages or ultimately become more and more legal and there become avenues to get those out. Obviously these are still very early days oh, yeah. for that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I imagine there's a whole bunch of legal hurdles for everyone to, to jump through, but, uh, I will, make my own personal statement on that, that, uh, I think that, you know, human adults can make their own decisions about their own morality and their own, you know, needs to, and, and you know, ways they want to consume these things. Um, and certainly, uh, I'm, I'm not a big weed consumer, but I don't, uh, I don't have philosophical problems with the way, you know, people use it. And uh, I think that's hard to make an argument that it's any more damaging than alcohol is, uh, socially and, Absolutely. uh, you know, medically and everything else. And so, you know, from that perspective, yeah, I think it's gonna be interesting to see where those things go. And, uh, I think you all are, uniquely positioned is somewhere in the nexus of that to, to help drive some of that innovation. And so I imagine we'll hopefully have some conversations as some of these things uh, develop as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, they, they're great at supporting the, the beverage space that we're working in, in now. Um, and it, it's, it's great to have them as backers to, uh, to do the innovation within the things that are legal for us. Uh, at this point. So that's uh, absolutely, absolutely. And of course, just acquired Montauk Brewing now also. And so Montauk joins your family of breweries. And I think you guys are going to be brewing some of those beers soon here too, huh? Yeah, that's going to be another uh, another kind of replication uh, project that, that should be fun. Um, we just brewed a pilot batch down in Atlanta um, while I was out there this week. So cool. Uh, but super new. Um, excited to have uh, another kind of growing brand. Um, I'm not super familiar with it yet. Uh, we haven't got any out here. We don't get it out here. It doesn't distribute. I've had here, plenty but... of Montauk beer because they send it to me. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And you can read uh, our opinions of those beers in the, in, on beerandbrewing.com. We've got reviews of those beers because, uh, yeah, they've been, they've, they've kept us in the loop on that. Pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. No, it'd be another, another, uh, exciting project to take on. Yeah. Well, Ryan, it's been wonderful talking to you about brewing. It's interesting to think about uh, you shepherding, uh, you know, uh, taking on some of these iconic brands. I mean, from a normally we'd ask some sort of big picture picture question, but on this one, I want to make it personal. How's it feel like for you uh, as somebody who consumed and drank and had these beers 
and was influenced by these beers and your own brewing and your own brewing process, your own creative process. Uh, how does it feel to be taking on the mantle of this and, uh, you know, and the responsibility that it that brings along with it to all those beer drinkers that have expectations around these things? Yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool to have the opportunity. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be on the team that's, that is entrusted with that. Um, I think it's, uh, it just makes us better brewers, uh, across the board. So yeah, personally, it's, uh, you could call it a little surreal. Um, when you think about the beers that may have, you know, green flash was definitely one of those, oh man, that's a, that's an IPA. That's, I know what that is now, uh, when I was getting into craft beer. So it's, uh, we don't take it lightly either. Sure. It's a, we, we very much respect the, the history of it, um, and, and the base that it laid for a lot of the cool and interesting things uh, that we get to do in craft beer now. And it'll be a, a cool opportunity to um, keep these brands um, successful and to innovate within those brands too um, and use that as a vehicle to drive uh, innovation across the board um, within those brands. Well, it'll be interesting to see you know, how this thing, you know, how this dialogue and interplay between these brands ultimately impacts each other, where you all go with it, um, and what this wild possibility in the in the future uh, has in store for all of us. For nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment. You can rely on ProBrew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brew to the next level. Trust the experts at Old Orchard to handle freight for your ingredients. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices in order quantities catered to craft abs commercials a full service brewery outfitter for breweries across the country and twin monkeys continues to push the boundaries of what is possible with their packaging solutions of course if you've enjoyed this podcast any episodes or all episodes go to beerandbrewing.com click on that subscribe button let us know this content matters to you help support what we do and help us bring you these episodes every week um brian if people want to learn more about sweetwater where do they find you not that it's that hard to find Sweetwater in the broader world of beer because uh, there's a certain ubiquity to a brewery that's making as much beer as uh, Sweetwater is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can check out check out the, the usual social media stuff there, uh, the Sweetwater website. Um, there's websites for the Fort Collins and Atlanta uh, tap rooms. Keep up to date on what's on tap in those tap rooms. Um, and you can come to our tap rooms and you can also find a Green Flash Alpine beers on in both tap rooms uh, right now too. So, yeah, cool. Well, thanks for talking to me for the podcast. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.